Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the Armory 33 podcast. As always, I'm your host Quinn, and today I am joined by one of my favorite people on planet Earth, the more famous host of Bad Elephant Gaming, Mr. Tom. Tom, how are you doing today? First of all, stop. There is no uh, more or less famous between Josh and I. We are a, a family. We are a family brand, a family affair, even though we are not related legally. Uh, and how's it going, Quinn? Yeah, I'm doing great. And, you know, it, it is a family affair because you and him have been best friends for years now. And I've always said that you're my favorite older sibling next to producer Becca. Listen, uh, Becca is a much better role model than me, so you should just pick uh, pick Becca overall. But thank you for the kind words. And yeah, no, you we've obviously we've been a constant in each other's lives going way back. Uh, and we have always kind of been in the same circles of conversations between wrestling and video games and stuff like that. Uh, but yeah, no, I'm excited to be on your show. Thank you for thank you for inviting me. Thank you for agreeing to come on. I mean. Josh really didn't have a choice. He's kind of obligated as a family member, but you, I know you're a very busy man, so thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to come hang out with us for a little bit. I could be sleeping right now, but it's all right. It's all right. <laughs> I, I apologize. I was up till about one this morning trying to get the show ready to go, and I've been up since six with a baby, so yeah, it's... Well, that's all good? The sh oh, yeah, she's good. She's fine. Gotcha, gotcha. Well, well, showtime's now, so let's get to it. What do you want to talk about? I want to talk to something that I know you are a walking encyclopedia about. Sure, sure. I want to talk about movies today. Ever since I think the first time I met you, you have always been into film, whether it's writing, editing, filming, and critiquing. I remember watching some of your very first early on videos that you and i believe it was sycamore street studios produced mm -hmm. back in the good old days yeah Sy sycamore street studios is my the, the film label that i started with my friends in 2004 with the mats and then josh came on and then josh basically was a pillar of sycamore street studios and even though everyone's interests have kind of you know changed uh i still hold on to the filmmaking passion i've keeping sycamore street studios alive and yeah even though i'm more found commonly at bad elephant gaming these days where you'll find gaming experiences you'll never forget shameless plug uh yeah sss is always still around for me sss always holds a special place because it was like you said it was just you and a couple of your best friends doing what you guys loved and everybody that watched it loved it everything from the hockey trilogy <laughs> to the gif superhero show which there might be a noticeable cameo in one of those episodes let's just be real you acted in in some of our stuff it was great yeah like we there was days i was hanging out with my brother and he's like well come on let's go we have to go film this i'm like oh great i get to tag along he goes you just don't embarrass me <laughs> exactly as an older sibling i know how they can be <laughs> yeah but no so one thing, I was kicking around ideas when I asked you to be on the show and knowing it was going to be film. I want to get your opinions on some of the better choices directors and writers have made and producers compared to their worst choices when it comes to editing, writing, or producing a film, if that makes sense. So we're going to take the good and the bad. Okay. All right. Do you have any names that you want to start throwing down? And we'll, we'll talk their best and worst. Off the top of my head, I mean, I went right to George Lucas. 
Sure, sure. And he really hasn't directed a lot of movies, but he has written a decent amount, and he's been an executive producer on countless films. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, in your opinion, what do you think is one of the better movies he has done? It's interesting you bring him up. Um, he's got a very complicated career and a very complicated life. Uh, I could talk to you for hours about what I know about George Lucas's biography and some theories I have about uh, his successes or failures. Um, so I'm actually, I'm not going to say Star Wars for his best movie. I, because listen, Star Wars is what it is, but also, you know, Star Wars was kind of the result of a lot of happy accidents, if you think about it. And you want to say like, what was George Lucas's best effort? Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to actually say it's the film American Graffiti starring Ron Howard and Richard Dreyfuss about a group of kids, uh, you know, traveling around their hometown in different storylines on the night before they graduate high school and kind of go off into the real world. And it's rooted in a lot of George Lucas's personal love as a car nut. He is, or was as a child, I don't know if he continues his car hobby, but like you can see it not just from the obvious American graffiti with its street racing scenes, but up through Star Wars episode one with the pod racing, Lucas is a big fan of racing and graffiti feels very personal. You know, it's characters that feel like they were written from some kind of personal experience a bunch of teenagers who are like, I don't know where to go from here. I don't know what my future holds, but I got one last meaningful night in my hometown. Let me try to make it count somehow, however that works out. And it bounces between funny and heartwarming and tragic and uplifting. And, you know, it bounces all around in a lot of good ways. And uh, I think I just want to shout it out because a lot of people just say, George Lucas, Star Wars, that's all he did. It's like, no, 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 no. You got He's got a, a lot of good stuff beyond the galaxy far, far away. I agree with you 100%. That was actually in my notes that I wrote down. I actually took time to start watching American Graffiti again in preparation for the show. Finish it. Yeah, finish it. It's great. It's great. It's kind of hard with a one-year-old, you know, running around the house screaming and trying to terrorize everything. But so well, you have a car seat, don't you? Buckle her, buckle her in and make her make her watch American Graffiti. She'll thank you. I have started her young. Uh, we just watched Mandalorian uh, Season 3 the other okay. night together and she walks around the house trying to do the force thing now, so... Oh, that's, that's very cute. <laughs> Might have created a monster. And uh, she has a little hoodie that looks like it's a, like, it looks like it's a Jedi robe. Very cute. It's really baggy on her. It's in the gray, so she's my little Padawan. Uh, one other thing that I have noted that Lucas has done that I put on the good side, The Land Before Time. Well, it's interesting is that he was just a producer on that. He didn't direct that. And I don't believe he was heavily involved with the script. That's a uh, a Don Bluth, Gary Goldman film from their time at Universal. But The Land Before Time is fantastic. I will say that. The Land Before Time, that's like a go-to children's movie for anybody. It should be. It sh- that's, a, that's a generational movie. Absolutely. Absolutely. I actually know. Th- um, so I don't remember if this was solely Spielberg or if Lucas chipped in on this too. Oh, I know that Lucas was actually pivotal in kind of the development of Sarah, the Triceratops. I know he had a lot of input on her art, her, you know, her kind of feelings of pride and the prejudice that surround her upbringing and stuff like that. I know he had input on that. But what I was going to say is there's a pretty noteworthy piece of history on that movie. Do you know about the lost footage from Land Before Time? I do not. Would you like to indulge us in some film history here? Sure. There's about 10 minutes of that film that were cut out and destroyed. It's basically there was a longer sequence of the early Sharptooth, a.k.a. T-Rex attack and the fight where Littlefoot's mother is defending him. Because when they turned the film in, Spielberg and maybe Lucas, but I, I know this is mostly attributed to Spielberg, were like, this is way too traumatizing and violent for kids. 
it, it it's not gonna fly get it out of here so land before time is notoriously short for a feature-length animated film because they cut out a big chunk of it and also allegedly the footage was destroyed it's not like it's in a vault somewhere it was just straight up gotten rid of so they just cut the film and burned it basically basically yeah so that's a nice little kind of lost media factoid for you i like that now you mentioned the other name that's on my list we have to talk about him he's one of my favorite directors and that's spielberg Absolutely. He's among the many old legends. He's he's arguably one of the best, if not the best. And just looking when I was doing my research for the show here, just looking through all the movies he made and had a hand in, I don't think there's a bad movie on that list. Other uh, I would I would argue he's participated in some clunkers, but tell me what you think. I want to hear your Right now on my list just to name a few, it's ET, Schindler's List, uh Close Encounters and all pieces of shit. All terrible movies. No. <laughs> How dare you, Tom? See, this is what I mean. I had to bring you on because I value your opinion. I'm just going to throw away half that collection I have upstairs. I'm done. There you go. There you go. Gonna, if you guys want DVDs and Blu-rays, I'll sell them to you for 50 cents a piece. <laughs> just make some money here. Nah, just break them in half. I actually like Ready Player One. Okay. I mean, I read the book. The book was definitely better than the movie. Yada, yada, yada. We don't have to go down that rabbit hole today. I haven't read the book. I, I don't have any opinion on it. I have only seen the film. I think it's fine. Um, I think it gets at some interesting things. Um, but no, Ready Player One, I mean, it brings back sort of like a nostalgia to me as for me as well with all the little hidden Easter eggs. You know, you have the Iron Giant. You have the Jurassic Park Jeep Chase. And you just have a bunch of all these other characters that it's nice just to see them all on one screen, so to say, without having like an intertwined story together it's it's interesting i i'm not going to disagree uh you know it's it's a nice little kind of joy ride through through memory stuff like that there are just chunks of it that don't work for me personally you brought the iron giant and in my opinion i'm not personally happy with how the iron giant has kind of been remarketed by warner brothers in, in recent years you know that movie came out and despite being a fantastic animated film it, it bombed it flopped but now warner brothers knows there's nostalgia for it from millennials like ourselves from zoomers who may have been raised watching it and they're putting him back into kind of wider marketing but you know when he shows up in ready player one and other things they always make him uh, a character involved in big fight and action scenes and you know the whole kind of point about iron giant is that he's not a violent creature he's not a violent character but they always have him i know like i'm not saying in ready player one i know in ready player one he, the, he is the avatar of a character taking place in the battle but you know the the origin of the iron giant production wise is that brad bird the director who went on to direct the incredibles and ratatouille his sister was was murdered uh, at gunpoint and he when he pitched the movie to warner brothers he said what if a gun knew it was a gun and it didn't and it chose not to kill somebody and that was like his concept for the iron giant um just the the notion of protecting what you love without resu resulting to like you know violence so when i see the iron giant big battle scenes it's kind of like seeing i don't know martin luther king engage in a, in a slap fight tournament it's like not what they would do <laughs> Hey, he might have been in the slap fights. We don't know. He was in the peaceful demonstrations, is what I'm saying. But anyway. <laughs> what would be some of the Spielberg movies that you deem as, quote-unquote, bad or not good movies? I, mean, I didn't mean to put you on the spot there, but... Mm, 
No, I, I knew. I, here's the thing. When you brought this up, I figured Spielberg would come up. And I'm trying to just honestly think because he has had some misguided choices in his life. I don't even think Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is a unwatchable movie, but it really didn't need to get made. And I can tell it was made for all the wrong reasons. And that even if you watch behind the scenes stuff, Spielberg just kind of seems very like, ah, whatever, I'm just doing this. You know, like it's very noteworthy that he's not directing the upcoming Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, the fifth one. And I, I think it's just because like, I don't think Spielberg ever wanted to go back to that character after The Last Crusade. So it's kind of like Kingdom of the Crystal Skull feels very rough and uneven mostly because there's too many people involved with the character at that point in time. You know, you've got Spielberg directing, you've got David Kep writing the script from input from both, not just both, from Spielberg, Lucas, and Ford. All three of them have strong opinions about what they want from the character. So Crystal Skull just feels weird. You know, he was trying to make Shia LaBeouf happen, and Shia LaBeouf, uh, that's a, that's a, uh, a story we don't have time to go down, I imagine, but... It's a podcast by itself with that topic. Exactly, exactly. It's too, mu- it's too much stuff that doesn't gel together that well, so maybe that's his worst movie, you know. But even when he sucks, even when Spielberg sucks, he's doing better shit than most people who are directing, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I don't know. It, it's, funny, it's funny you brought that up, because that's actually in our next topic of movies that ruined a franchise, and that was my number one pick for... A movie that ruined a great franchise that didn't need they didn't need to make a fourth and a fifth one i mean when i saw the fifth one was being announced i kind of just rolled my eyes and i was like why harrison ford why let's go on movies movies that ruined a franchise um i mean star wars episode nine rise of skywalker didn't just ruin the sequel trilogy it ruined it kind of it kind of because they made all this like the episode nine is gonna tie all the movies together and solve every mystery and then it was just stupid it was like uh, it, it may like i don't know episode nine may have been my peak star wars exhaustion recently i'm looking through a list of, of famous franchises uh i know I, I don't think toy story 4 ruined toy story quote-unquote but like it did it was like it was like putting a hat on a hat like they they opened the book to close it again and i wasn't personally satisfied with the story of four so it was just kind of like okay you made that and we're getting toy story five so great uh but we'll we'll get to that topic then but that's just a little tidbit that you said star wars i was like i just looked at it here in my notes i was like well i can cross that topic off the list because that uh yeah that's another no, if you want to, you're, you're the host. I'm sorry if I'm going on tangents. What do you want to talk about? Yeah. No, no, you're fine. You're fine. I I like when everything, it's like a comedy show, you know. We get off topic and then everything comes back around full circle. So, so you know, those circle of life moments. Now, one director that I've only seen one of his movies, but I think it's the movie that every child needs to see around the ages of 12 or 13, George A. Romero. Interesting. All right, all right. The the original Night of the Living Dead, which I believe was filmed out near Pittsburgh, if I'm not mistaken. Romero was a Pittsburgh native. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. But uh, yeah, yeah, he was from that area. And Night of the Living Dead, very, very interesting. Uh, so George Romero forgot to put the copyright notice on that movie. So it's technically, depending on the print that you're showing, it's technically in the public domain. But of course, very influential in creating what we know now as the uh, the zombie genre of film of horror has there ever really been a better zombie movie than that 
than the first one? Yeah, yeah, I would say there have been. Um, well, Quinn, it's kind of hard to disagree with you. I mean, I think there are a lot of top-tier zombie movies. Funnily enough, most of them still directed by Romero. You know, we got Land of the Dead, Dawn of the Dead. I think that a couple really interesting ones that come to mind are um, the recent Blood Quantum movie, which was very interesting. Uh, it's a Canadian film. And then uh, a Japanese film called One Cut of the Dead, which is a, a zombie movie that is done all in one take. It's pretty it's pretty interesting. But yeah, sure. R Romero, unquestionably, he birthed the genre and he mastered it. So yeah, I, I get what you're saying. And I'm not going to lie, those zombies look pretty good for when that movie was made. Very good makeup and no special effects were needed. Holds up very well. Holds up very well. I, I still watch it every October. I think that's the first movie I watch when it comes Halloween time. We also switch over from October 1st. All of the movies are spooky as they can be. Absolutely. The spookier, the better. All right, this one might be a little controversial. We're going to talk about Mr. Sam Raimi. What's controversial about Sam Raimi? Uh, Spider-Man 3. Need I say more? I mean, there are now worse Spider-Man movies, so I mean... Are you referring to Amazing Spider-Man 2? Yeah, yeah, that that's the worst Spider-Man movie. Uh, I'm not saying Spider-Man three is great personally. Well, what, what, what do you think? I want. I'm I'm taking over too much of this. What's your opinion on Spider-Man three? One and two. I remember one just being the first quote-unquote superhero movie. I mean, obviously Blade came out before that, which I really didn't know he was a superhero. I was like, great, vampire killer, fantastic. It's Wesley Snipes. I'm excited for the reboot of that. But then I was like, Spider-Man. Yeah, and I think it, we were. I think you were on a trip with us to New York City. It was a bus trip, and I had it in my portable DVD player. And I was like, Tom, do you want to watch this with me? And I believe you said, no, I'm good. <laughs> well, at the time, I was on a bus. I was like, uh, don't bother me. I'm trying to sleep, probably. I don't know. There was just something about Spider-Man 3 that kind of turned me off. And I think there's some good stuff in Spider-Man 3. You know, something we've kind of talked about so far, and I can bring it back around here, is it's a movie that was killed by some studio interference. Sam Raimi was not interested in the character of Venom, but Venom's popular. So Avi Arad, the producer, was like, Venom has to be in this movie. So Sam Raimi had to shove Venom into a movie where there's no place for him. In Sam Raimi's mind, anyway. Uh, I think the the scene, I mean, many people agree, The Birth of the Sandman is some pretty iconic filmmaking right there, not just in terms of special effects, but how it's all delivered without any, like, dialogue. It's all heavily emotion. I think the fight between Peter and Harry as New Goblin is a pretty exciting piece of action. I like that. There's some good stuff in it. It's not a perfect movie at all, but, you know, it's not the mess that the second Andrew Garfield movie is, so that's where I'm going to say, hey, it, it's no longer the worst Spider-Man movie. I know this is going to sound horrible, but I have not watched either of his movies all the way through with him being Spider-Man. They're not, I mean, they're not that great. Um, the first one, here's the thing. I think everybody who was brought on for that incarnation was very well cast. I think Andrew Garfield was, was, was good. Emma Stone was good. Everybody had the potential to go far if those movies were written better and had more interesting concepts, but... They just kind of, on both occasions, didn't, you know, didn't hit a home run. And it sucks for that cast, um, you know, which was nice where we had Spider-Man No Way Home. Garfield came back and he had a more interesting script to work with and all that. So that was good, you know, for him. Um, but yeah, I don't blame you for not finishing them. The first one is like a B minus and the second one is like a C minus or D, you know. For the worst Spider-Man movie ever. No, <laughs> sorry. That was my dad joke of the day. I apologize for that. <laughs> Another thing, me being, I, I love my Marvel movies, 
I wasn't that big of a fan of Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Yeah, it was just all right. Yeah, it kind of goes there with Thor: Love and Thunder. That was bad. That was I was I I I'll, I'll contend that that was outright bad. Yeah, they tried to strike gold again with what they did with Ragnarok. Phase four just overall was a mess. I I honestly maybe this is a hot take. I honestly would have taken two years of no Marvel movies after Endgame to kind of let them cool down and generate hype for a new phase of storytelling, which they're getting ready to right now. Then the kind of mess like Shang-Chi was great. I, that's probably my favorite phase four movie, but yeah, multiverse of madness. I don't know what it accomplished in terms of either Dr. Strange's arc or, you know, it's just, it's just there to be like, look, different ca- versions of characters. Hey, everybody on Tumblr, you wanted John Krasinski to play Mr. Fantastic forever. Well, He's going to do that once, you know, it just, I don't know what it was, for, who it was for beyond that. And here's the thing. If you wanted to see different editions of Dr. Strange, just watch the what if episode. Sure. There you go. If you think, if you think about it, that pretty much sums up multiverse of madness right there in 25 minutes instead of an hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. I just, um, well, I mean, I know that the, the evil Dr. Strange and the black pit universe thing in the movie that was supposed to be the doctor from the that episode of what if so there's that for what it's worth but it's just in terms of like i don't know i don't think it was a good sequel to the first doctor strange and just overall i just didn't really get much out of it except for some cool sam raimi weirdness which is nice oh it's always nice and then thor love and thunder like you said they tried to repeat what they did for ragnarok but like Ragnarok had a better balance of drama and comedy whereas this the comedy was getting in the way of the drama you know like like the 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 smallest example from Love and Thunder that just exemplifies everything wrong with it is that quick scene in New Asgard on Earth where they open an ice cream shop called Infinity Cones and like the logo is the Infinity Gauntlet. So it's like so in universe, a tragedy that, you know, saw half of existence wiped out and the battle with Thanos, which saw many people die is now, like, okay enough for a cute little ice cream shop. Like, that'd be opening, I don't know, a hot dog stand with World Trade Center theming, you know, and being, like, twin dogs or something like that, you know? Like, like come on. Come on. Is it bad if when you said that my mind immediately went to a 9-11 theme? That's what I said, World Trade Center, yeah. Like, twi- instead of twin towers, twin hot dogs, yeah. Or, like... Yeah, that's what I was like. I was like, I was like, oh, oh no. We can call it twin buns. Twin buns, exactly. Yeah, it's just, it's just, come on. But like, that's what I mean. It's like, it's this weird, like, if everything's a joke, then, like, what are you, what's supposed to be taken seriously? Exactly, yeah. And that's a movie where, like, someone has cancer, someone's wrestling with a religious existential crisis, someone's wrestling with the death of their family. But it's like, ha ha, laugh, laugh. Also, Army of Darkness and the Evil Dead. Yeah. Two more great Sam Raimi movies. Sure. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, Ash is uh, one of horror's most lovable heroes. And, you know, Evil Dead, Army of Darkness, it's Sam Raimi just at his most crazy creative. And it's it's good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. The good kind of crazy. Exactly. There you go. All right. Let's, let's shift topics. We've already touched on this topic numerous times. Movies that have killed a franchise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you want to start it off with any that you have in mind? Because we pretty much touched on some of mine here. Thor, Love, and Thunder for sure. I mean, I have a couple other ones, but I'll give it. I don't think anything in, in, the, in the MCU is fair to say as a, 
this killed X because the MCU is going to go on, you know, like if, if something doesn't work, they'll just not come back to that character. Like, I don't honestly know if we're going to get Eternals 2. I was going to say, I pray we don't get Eternals 2 because I watched that when I had COVID last year and I took it, I fell asleep during it and I woke up and it was still on. Oh. I was like, how long is my nap? My wife's like, you took an hour long nap. I'm like, and this movie's still going. Well, most movies usually are two hours, Quinn. <laughs> I'm busting you. I'm busting you. I got you. I got you. Well, I mean, uh, we've got the Tom Cruise mummy. That killed the universe's interconnected dark universe before it even started. If you want to just get into uh, <laughs> movies that killed franchises. Speaking of uh, Tom Cruise, can he stop making Mission Impossibles, please? Why? They're good. That's like saying Tokyo Drift was the best Fast and the Furious movie. It is. It, Tokyo Drift's the best Fast and the Furious movie because it's it's the best. It's I'm not kidding you. I, I I prefer that to every other film in that franchise because it's got a it's got a nice down to earth character story. It's set somewhere you know mostly different than what the franchise had been doing. It's set in one location too, so it's contained. It's got some pretty cool driving sequences. You know, it's Han at his best in my opinion, and it doesn't have Paul Walker. And it doesn't have Paul Walker in a in a non-tragic context. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not saying Furious 8 was great because thank God he's gone. I, what I meant is that, like, it's a tragedy that he's gone IRL. But at least Brian O'Connor wasn't in Tokyo Drift. Regardless of Paul Walker's career and everything, I Brian O'Connor was, like, the least interesting character in all those movies. Why do you dislike it, Quinn? It, it threw off the timeline for me. Every Fast and Furious movie throws off the timeline. Four starts with a flashback. Five starts with a, like, seven or eight, like, is, like, reveals, oh, yeah, Dom and Letty actually got married ten years ago. We forgot to mention it. Every movie fucks with the timeline. But it was just one of those things I was like, oh, no, Han died. And Han, was one of my, Han is one of my favorite characters um, besides him and Ludacris together. But I was like, oh, no, they killed Han. Hey, guess what? Three movies later, he's back to life. Oh, I dislike that. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I like, yeah, I like Han as a character and the actor, but his, again, what we talked about with, with Love and Thunder, like, if things don't mean anything, then what are we supposed to take seriously? So, like, Han coming back, I was, like, a little, like, eh, eh. Real quick, though, real quick. What how, what, what started that tangent? Oh, you said the fast, you said uh, the Mission Impossible movies. Why don't you like them? This is a hot take. I am not a fan of Tom Cruise. It's not really a hot take. A lot of people dislike him, especially for his Scientology stuff, you know. I mean that that aside. I mean, I I watched Top Gun Maverick the other day. Great movie. I only watched it for one reason: Miles Teller. You might be the first person in the history of mankind to ever say, "I can't wait to watch this movie for Miles Teller." He's very good in, in Maverick, though. I'll give you that. Yeah. You remember Whiplash? That was a great movie too. Of course, it it is. But again, that's he. He's not. I would not say he's the main event of Whiplash, but I mean. Oh no! It's. Uh... Mr. J. Jonah Jameson himself. So you're a big uh, Divergent franchise fan, I'm guessing, then, right? You're like, Miles Teller? Oh, my God! <laughs> Actually, if you listen to the Valentine's Day episode, that was the first movie Nicole and I ever watched together. I'm behind on that one. I'm sorry. <laughs> Wait a second. Miles Teller. He was in Footloose remake. <laughs> well, the Footloose remake doesn't exist. Let's be honest here. <laughs> real quick, real quick. So uh, uh, being that uh, you and your wife have such a close connection to the Divergent franchise. <laughs> no, you're t we're talking about movies that killed franchises. Do you know about what you know about the Divergent franchise, the larger like story of it? Not really. I, she just forced me to watch all the movies in one weekend. 
well do you know why the movies are not done no that's not that's not true so they were doing what twilight and harry potter did it's a three like divergent was a three book series and they were like these two franchises split their last book into two movies so we're gonna do that to make more money because money you know so the third divergent movie did so poorly at the box office that the studio panicked and decided they announced that the fourth movie will not be going to theaters. It's going to premiere on like Freeform. We're going to make a made for TV movie. And the cast didn't know that until the announcement was made. So like Shailene Woodley and everyone involved was like, we're not acting in a made for TV movie. And basically like negotiations were never made and the, the divergent film franchise never ended. So the third Divergent movie killed that franchise. If we're talking about this subject, you know. You might get a phone call from my wife after she hears this episode. I didn't make the decisions. I'm just telling you the story, all right? <laughs> this is why I wanted to have this. This was our topic because, like I said before, you're a walking encyclopedia of movies and knowledge. Imagine the knowledge I could have. <laughs> Remember, with great power comes great responsibility. I don't know how great this power is, but thank you. <laughs> Iron Man 3. You think that killed the Iron Man franchise? I know you said it's hard to say a Marvel movie killed X, Y, and Z, but I feel like Iron Man 3 was a movie that kind of did in the other two, where they were great, you know, great storytelling, great arcs and everything like that, but 3 kind of just... Iron Man 3 is not for, not, uh, not for me personally. I didn't care for it. Uh, I It doesn't get me, like, concerned enough to, like... It's not like... It's not like, honestly, Iron Man 2, if we want to talk about something that's not good for story, like Iron Man 2 is is such a, a thin, like, corpse of a movie that it's like, they really didn't have enough ideas, but they needed to get a sequel out fast. And let's just shove as many Avengers references in to keep audiences like, remember, it's happening, Avengers are coming. Like, yeah, um, I don't love Iron Man 3. There's a lot about it I dislike, but I don't think... I don't think that had too much of a negative impact. I think the first Iron Man is still pretty iconic for what it is. You know, I don't think that franchise got too ruined. You, but you see, you uh, you think you think they all kind of got hurt a little bit. A, a little bit. It might have. It might have been a uh, tarnish on the reputation of Iron Man in my eyes. Anyway, <laughs> on my list here, I just have any DC movie because <laughs> I do not know. I mean, are we talking about franchise killing <laughs> or just killing of a company? <sighs> I mean. DC's notorious for releasing movies that kill franchises. I mean, the first Green Lantern killed the Green Lantern franchise. And then, you know, of course, like most of the decisions made in the the quote-unquote Snyderverse, I guess as we're calling it, were were franchise killers. You know, Batman versus Superman was like, uh, the the studio backpedaled pretty hard on that. But then Suicide Squad, I I don't know. Uh, DC's, DC's too easy of a punching bag for me. I could go on too long with that one. What about you? Uh, yeah, I, I don't think I've watched a single DC movie all the way through, excluding Batman, but I kind of don't... Batman's carrying that company. He shouldn't be. That's the problem. Like, I like Batman, but I'm also... I'm not gonna lie. I'm kind of sick of Batman. Uh, there's too much. There's too much Batman-related stuff, and not enough of it's good. I mean, Matt Reeves' as The Batman was was enjoyable. I had a lot of fun with it. I think it's a solid B+. But, you know... Uh, DC has more, but they don't know how to market any of their heroes. And so, they, like you said, yeah, Batman's carrying the company because they're kind of forcing him to. I have another one that's kind of a broad generalization, but any horror movie with more than three movies and a remake. All right. So, like, 
I mean, we got. Are you saying that like those franchises are dead? Like, what are you getting at with that? No, just like like Friday the Thirteenth. Those were good until Jason takes New York City. Like, why? Why does he have to go to New York? Sure. Yeah. Or like the uh, the Chucky series, Child's Play. You know, uh, we got the three movies. Well, we we got a couple past that, but they did remake that. But humorously enough, everybody kind of universally rejected the the remake, and now they're back to. Chucky now he has there's a um I haven't watched it yet have you seen the USA show with Chucky with like it's actually Brad the TV show yeah have you seen it uh I for some reason I think an episode just started playing one day like I finished something on Peacock and it just started kicking over to like the first episode but I was like what is this and I saw the name was I was like no I think I'm gonna pass on this one I've heard it's good I've heard it's good but I don't know um I just haven't seen it I believe WWE superstar Liv Morgan's in that I believe for an episode or two. You know that's not. Yeah, you're 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 probably right because they have been doing a lot of crossover. I know Chucky's appeared in some NXT segments. Waiting to show him to show up in the uh, Firefly Funhouse. I would love that. As cheesy as it would be, I would I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great. The last one I have here is Rocky Five. But also, it didn't really kill that franchise because I mean, Creed Three is opening this weekend. The Rocky movies are alive and well. Nah, see, do we are we counting Creed as a Rocky movie? Yeah. Oh my, yeah, Creed is a Rocky movie. I mean, it's it's within the Rocky franchise. So yes, I mean, it's produced by the same producing team. The first two had had you know Sly in it as Rocky, and uh, yeah. I just I just when I thought of like the franchise, I was like one through f- like one through five. Five didn't need to be made. That was just my opinion. Five, five sucks. Like, don't get me wrong. Five is is a pretty lousy movie. But you know, Rocky Balboa. Rocky Balboa was a nice way to pull the franchise out of the hole that Five put it into. You know what I mean? So, but yeah. And then Creed picked up the torch, and they've been running with it. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see Creed three personally. Would you? Do you have you seen the Creed movies? Yeah, uh, I own one and two. I haven't seen three yet, but like I said, it just it just came out last night. We're to the point now where we don't really want to go out in public, so we just wait for things to hit streaming services, and then you know we'll make our own popcorn and have our own food here instead of paying the ridiculous prices of going out to movies and dinner and everything. Seeing as you guys are new parents and we're the economy's about to fucking faceplant i don't blame you at all i don't blame you at all um i was gonna say there's nothing like a movie on the big screen you know for what it's worth top gun maverick did you see that in theaters or did you see that at home i waited for that to come on <laughs> paramount i watched it at home you were off look i understand that not everybody in the world lives in the most economically advantageous situation where a movie theater trip is possible for them but i really do feel bad for anybody who didn't see top gun maverick in a theater because man, those plane shots, that like that aerial cinematography, like on a big screen, just took my breath away. Like you know, I'm not trying to shame anybody. You experience movies how you have to experience movies. But I feel I like I, if I could just give give everybody in the world unlimited movie tickets, <laughs> if I could pay for everybody to go see movies, I would. I would. Yeah, I mean, I I'd rather there's other things I can spend thirty five dollars on. Like what? You know what I mean? Like that's a tank of gas. Like a tank of gas and diapers. Okay. Not for me, for my child. Not, I don't wear the diapers. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you cut me off before I could do it. Oh, great. Good job. Good job. It's like we've been friends for 20-some years here, Tom. <laughs> well, I'd rather, you know, stay home and cuddle with the baby and walk around in sweatpants all day long. I see the appeal. I see the appeal. Yeah. You know, stay comfy while you can. All right. Let's get into what I 
what I think is going to be a really good conversation here, here with our top five movie characters. Ooh, I was not ready for this. Damn. Go, go. Did I, did I not put that in the, uh, did I not send that to you in a message? I forgot about that. You may have. That's on, that, that's on me for not doing the homework, but I can get it. I can get it. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, you being the guest, you won the toss. Do you want to start at five and go to one? Five to one's more exciting. Always. All right, go ahead. Give me your number five, or do you want me to go first? Mm, go first. Stephen McCaffrey. Who's that? He was Kurt Russell's character in Backdraft. Oh, Backdraft's a blind spot for me. Don't hate on me. I have not I have not seen Backdraft. I mean, you could probably spot out ten movies here that I have been like, no, I haven't seen those yet either. But no, I mean, that's just, that movie came out literally a week after I was born. And that's one of my favorite. I can sit and watch that two and a half hour long movie all day, every day, and not get bored with it. So you started the fire, is what you're saying? No, Billy Joel. No, I don't know. You were born a couple days after. <laughs> and they let a seven a seven day old play with matches. Well, it was Shemokin, so it's probably we're probably bored with that DNA. <laughs> yeah, Stephen McCaffrey, Bull. I just liked his persona, and he was. It's a very young Kurt Russell. What about it? What about it? Did you enjoy? It was just he didn't really care. He kind of did his own thing, which. Some of the characters looking at my list kind of fit that same bill, but I mean, he's just somebody I always, I always liked. Kurt Russell, I mean, has he made some bad movies? Yes, but you know, I feel like he's one of my favorite characters because it's one of my favorite movies of all time. And of course, Hans Zimmer did music for it. He's imposing. A Hans Zimmer score is always a good one. I like that. I like that. All right, all right, all right. So my number five. Uh, I'm going to say FBI agent Clarice Starling, as played by Jodie Foster in The Silence of the Lambs. I think that's one of the all-time great performances. And uh, it's just a very complex and well-developed character. You know, Clarice has uh, a pretty traumatizing childhood, and she's used that to kind of motivate a career seeking justice in the FBI. But, you know, she she works in a boys club you know what i mean there's they, they the, a lot of the movie kind of will have these nice point of view shots of men like taller men looking down on clarice but also like checking her out you know like brazenly unconcerned like oh oh you know what i mean and she's dealing with that because her concern is you know getting justice for the uh the people being kidnapped and murdered by buffalo bill because she's hoping it'll give her some peace and internal peace for like the, the trauma of her youth so it's a very well-written character. Her interactions with uh, Anthony Hopkins, Hannibal Lecter are always just really compelling to watch. So yeah, that's probably that's probably a top five character for me is Clarice Starling. <laughs> I'm I'm afraid to see what your other four are. We can touch on this character here a little bit ago as my number four as carrying the DC franchise is Batman. But let me let which but which Batman? Yeah, and that's I'm getting to that point right now. Everybody but Affleck, Clooney, and Patterson. <laughs> so. You're saying Bale, Bale, Keaton, and Kilmer, and Adam West. So those those four Batman, yeah. Okay, all right. I like that. I mean, I don't really, you don't really need an explanation because it's you know he's Batman. Look, but tell the tell the fans, tell tell the Armory Thirty Three fans who maybe have never uh, heard of Batman before. It could it, they could be out there. His parents were killed very young, so he has always he's been an orphan raised by a wonderful butler. Who I wish I would have as a as my at my house. A wonderful, a wonderful butler is one of the best ways I've ever heard Alfred described. Hell yeah! Everybody needs an Alfred in their life, right? <laughs> uh, no, I mean he 
was born into the darkness, so to speak. To paraphrase a, a quote from a quote from the Lego Bat, the Lego Batman movie, <laughs> darkness, no parents. Was it Will Arnett who voiced him in the Lego Batman? Yep, yep, yep. He he he's he's on the he's on the good Batman list. <laughs> I agree. I agree. But no, I, it's just Batman. I mean, he doesn't have a superpower. He's just trained in martial arts and trained by Rajah Ghoul. And I mean, seeing Christian Bale and Liam Neeson share the screen together was—I liked it. I liked it. Excellent, excellent. All right, uh, my number four will probably have to be uh, Wally, the waste allocatement load lifter Earth class little robot from the Pixar film Wally. He is, I'm going to say it, he is the best Pixar character ever created. Wally is such a fantastic piece of animation. It it looks stunning even by today's standards. Like most animated movies can't uh, you know, can't tie Wally's shoes. A kind of core tenant of a filmmaking is show, don't tell. You know what I mean? Like if you have to explain how a character feels, like, why aren't you just writing a book or something? You know what I mean? Like, films of visual medium show us the story. And Wally barely talks. You know what I mean? Uh, he makes funny noises and he has a little bug best friend who eats Twinkies. And Wally, li- Wally likes movies. You know, Wally, he has one movie that he watches all the time. But he goes on adventures and then he meets the love of his life and he saves humanity. And he does it all just because he's curious and he's optimistic. And he's such a great character, you know? And again, it's like... I feel like any other studio, like I feel DreamWorks would have just gotten some comedian to be like, "Ah, Wally, oh wow, what's what's this, a bra?" <laughs> but instead, you have that nice little sight gag where Wally's looking at a bra and then he puts it on his eyes because he doesn't know what they are, and he's like, "Whoa!" Like you know what I mean? It's he's he's such a good character at the heart of a really good movie, and he just leaves a great impression, you know. I don't think I've ever seen somebody get excited talking about Wally as much as I just saw you get excited. Wally fucking rules. <laughs> He owns bones. This is going to be a hot take, and I know you, and I know our history. You're going to judge me. No, go ahead. I have never watched Wally all the way through. You should. You should show your daughter it. It's a nice, it's it's a great piece of animated filmmaking. You should definitely watch it. I'll, I'll, when she gets a little bit older, like, and this is why we don't litter, you know, just make her watch Wally. Oh, oh, right. I mean, well, you don't need to watch Wally to not litter. Just fucking put it in a can. What's wrong with you? We don't have time for that topic today. Are you saying you endorse littering? No, I do not. Oh, I was like, you disagree with me? What? No, you said what's wrong with you. I said we don't have time to get into that topic. That's what I was. That's what I was getting at. Oh, oh, oh! Of course. My number three. We're gonna go with another lovable Harrison Ford character, Mister Han Solo. He doesn't really care. He kind of does his own thing. But you know, end of the day, he always happens to show back up, and he still gets a girl. So you're saying you're a big fan of of Solo, a Star Wars story? Actually, yes, I was. Talk about we're gonna talk about franchise killers. Oh, so even anything after episodes, anything after episode six killed the franchise. Solo literally killed the spinoff projects. Like they they all got moved to Disney Plus because of Solo. But we're not a franchise killing. Tell me more about what Han Solo means means to you. Go ahead. I just remember watching Star Wars for the first time, being a little five or six year old kid, and I just wanted to have a black vest and a blaster on my hip. Yeah, he's he's a badass. He's got swagger. Hell yeah. I mean, he shot first twice, by the way. He did. And just the way you know, his co-pilot is a Wookiee. I don't know. That 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 dynamic of Han and Chewie is just. I would put that there as. My favorite deal in the movie. Good combo. I like it. 
All right, well, we're moving on to number three. My number three would be Albert, played by Nathan Lane in The Birdcage, the 1996 Mike Nichols movie. Have you ever seen The Birdcage? Oh, it's fantastic. It's It stars Robin Williams and Nathan Lane, and they are a gay couple who own a drag club in Miami, Florida. And Robin Williams' son, who he had through a, a one-time relationship, uh, comes home and says, I'm getting married, and my... Fiance is the daughter of like a, a hardcore conservative senator. So I need you to like stage being like a straight person in a traditional marriage for just one dinner. And a wacky series of events ensue. It, it's one of the funniest movies ever made. It's it's very good. It's very it's very funny, but also emotional and positive. And uh, Nathan Lane as Albert kind of anchors the whole thing. They they're a performer, you know, like they love being on stage. And they they're hungry for attention, you know, like in the relationship, Albert's hungry for emotional attention on stage. They love the crowd, but they also are there to willing to do whatever they can to help their family. And in the situation that they're in, it culminates in Albert, who is a drag performer, dresses up as Robin Williams's wife and and tries to convince them through the whole dinner that he's just this little this sweet little old lady. And it it's just what it's one of those comedy comedy of errors, comedy of circumstance movies that like to explain any further would spoil the best jokes. But it, if if you love Robin Williams especially, and you love just good character comedy, The Birdcage, check it out. It's a very good movie. Hank Azaria, who who, who does who does a lot of voices on The Simpsons, he plays their butler, and he's like everybody in the cast is just great. Gene Hackman is the senator. Yeah, like see again, everybody needs a good butler in your life. <laughs> wonderful butlers, yes. <laughs> That should have been a list. You should have Quinn. Next, our, your next guest, top five wonderful butlers. Go, whoever they are. <laughs> I could I could only name three. You just said one of them, and the other one's Tim Curry from Clue. <laughs> yeah, there you go. There you go. This is this is a toss up between my one and two. I can really interchange them anytime. I'm gonna go with Professor Snape. Ooh, interesting. Tell me why. Uh, his character, just watching his character arc, reading the books, and then seeing how greatly Alan Rickman portrayed him was just a great job. It was just an overall fantastic job bringing a character to life. Um, you know, you're you're meant to not like him in the first couple of books and movies, and then you see everything he has done to protect Harry and everybody else, and you're like, oh, I like this guy now. I mean, dressing all black, the hair slicked back it was kind of like that teacher everybody liked where he wouldn't take any crap from students but he was also a, a cool guy to hang around with snape snape he's a bully to the students and an asshole he didn't want to hang out with anybody Have we did we watch the same movies well if you're in slytherin house you want to hang out with him well eh, i guess i mean i'm a slytherin but i don't know i feel like snape still wouldn't want to hang out with anybody so i don't know but i'd, I'd try and be his friend I would try and be his friend. He would not. He would not accept you. But, <laughs> but. <laughs> what do you got for number two there, Mister Tom? Oh, it's my number two. Yeah. Uh, my number two is George Bailey, played by Jimmy Stewart in 1946's "It's a Wonderful Life," which uh, is the best Christmas movie ever made and just one of the best films ever made. Period. Uh, he 
you know, he's at the center of the story. He's a man through which have you have you seen It's a Wonderful Life? Do I have to avoid spoiling that movie for you too? I have. I'm not uncultured. <laughs> you have seen it. Oh, yes. okay, great. All right. So, you know, what's interesting about the movie is like, you know, you're kind of watching the journey of this man who eats a lot of shit, you know, not like I'll be honest, it's, you know, he'll make sacrifices, but sometimes life will intervene and just take things from him, but he never does the wrong thing. He never takes the easy way out, and you feel for him, you know, you really do. Like, my wife probably my wife had seen the movie when she was young, but like a couple years into our relationship, we kind of like watched it and it was her first serious beginning to end. And she was like, you know, the movie really, really makes you mad because of what he's dealing with. And I'm like, yeah, but, you know, he doesn't he doesn't lash out. At, like, I mean, he does lash out at the world uh, in a climactic moment. But like, you know, he never he never hurts people on purpose through his actions. He's not an asshole. And then when he has his big climactic moment, when like the shit has all hit the fan and he can't take it anymore, he gets the necessary perspective he needs on life. And it, it ends with what I think is the the best unspoken line in movie history. It's when he uh, he opens up the um, the Bible that his daughter gives him and Clarence, the angel, has written it. And he said, remember, George, no man's a failure who has friends. And it's just this beautiful i think beautiful little reminder that like the connections we make to people are very important and you know you can mean a lot to people and you may not even realize it so yeah and he's just just a great vehicle for that message i the character george bailey number two all time look at tom bringing out the philosophical and, and emotional aspects of people i like it <laughs> that's what this podcast is about it's making people feel good i didn't do it the move the movie did it i you know give all the credit to the movie anyway I need more people like that in this world nowadays do you do so you're number one let's go number one with a bullet what is it it's captain america hands down i mean the best avenger let's be honest yeah hey he's the first avenger there you go he was so good they should have just stopped it was like all right we don't need any more avengers <laughs> he can do this all day just remember that no uh i mean think about it he was a, a scrawny kid from brooklyn that had asthma and you know all he wanted to do was go fight for his country and help out any way he can and he kept being told no and you know they're like hey we have this experiment we're gonna try on you if you want to do it it's gonna make you about six feet taller you know muscles we're gonna clean your asthma up for you and yeah i mean hell yeah hell yeah and you know we're talking if i could just drop one of my favorite lines in movie history one of my favorite lines ever uh the line that basically gets him chosen to be captain america the doctor, played by Stanley Tucci, says, says uh, why do you want to go kill Nazis? And he says, I don't want to kill anybody. I just don't like bullies. And I was like, well, that, this guy, this guy, give him, make him jacked. Give him your superroids. Do it. Do it now. I don't know. I'm looking across my office right now, and I see my shield. I kind of just want to grab it and see if it will come back to me if I throw it. It won't. I'll tell you, <laughs> even if you were roided up, it would not come back to you. So just don't try. Don't try. I'll tell you what it will do. I'll tell you what it will do. It'll go right through your drywall and maybe it'll maybe it'll damage a stud. And then you'll be spending the rest of your weekend fixing that. So that's that's what will happen. Yeah, no, I don't want to do that. Uh, it would be like Sam Wilson trying to throw the shoe and get a second tree. The best part about the Cap America story at the end. He had to be with the girl he loved, and that is for, he got his first dance. He did the right thing, and when you do the right thing, it pays off. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Tom, hit us with your number one. Close us out. Uh, my number one most important, most influential movie character of all time. Oh, 
shit, this wasn't as easy as I thought it was when I said it as number one. Uh, it's probably E.T. Probably E.T., the extraterrestrial, the little shriveled nutsack man who comes to Earth in the 1982 film. Uh, but no, listen, I, I, I as with Wally, I really have an appreciation for characters that are uniquely designed and are kind of there to act as catalysts for other people to be better, you know, and E.T., he's got this sense of curiosity and exploration about the world, you know, uh, he's also like a, a vulnerable in an appealing way. You know, he's lost you doing the finger. Yeah. The finger, the finger is a nice little kind of magical touch of like a, a, a literal magical touch of, uh, but yeah, like he's, he's a very interesting character who is fascinating to watch on screen. I love the way, like when they put the, the actor in, in the costume, they have him waddling around the kitchen. I, I, I will never not laugh at the way E.T. walks, uh, E.T. getting drunk. One of the best movie scenes of all time. Uh, he loves Reese's Pieces, which are the best movie candy to eat. Let's be real here. Uh, agree or disagree with you on that. Well, what's your problem? What's the best movie candy? Cookie dough bites. I mean, they're good, but they're not better than Reese's Pieces. I ain't agreeing to shit. You can disagree, but I ain't going to agree with you on anything. But anyway, um, <laughs> no, just, yeah. E.T. just, like, in terms of characters, like, I'm not, I'm not shitting on any actors. I'm not saying, like, I like uh, creations more than performances. I try to make my list a, a, a good balance. But, yeah, just something about... Like E.T., Wally. So you like aliens. Got it. I mean, aliens are cool. I mean, the xenomorph. If we want to get off the, the wholesome Tom shtick, uh, yeah, the xenomorph, that's a fucking incredible design. And in the movies where it's used right, you know, the first two, truly terrifying. That scene of the, the xenomorph coming out of the water behind Newt, just, oh, just stunning, you know? Just, oh, like. I didn't mean the movie Aliens. I meant Aliens as an E.T. and Wally. <laughs> Wally's not an alien. He's a robot. A robot. He's a robot. Yeah. He's a mechanical. He's he's an automaton. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> Those are two great top fives of movie characters. Tom, thank you again for taking time out of your busy Saturday. Where people find you at Tom if they want to hear more of your wonderful wisdom and knowledge. <sighs> well, you can find me and Josh streaming or reviewing video games or podcasting over at bad elephant gaming we are on youtube youtube.com slash at bad elephant gaming search that name across twitter insta you can find us we're usually streaming cool stuff reviewing new and retro games and just you know, talking about how much we love video games so check us out there bad elephant gaming um it's march what is that elephant doing for march madness oh look at you doing the advertising i'm not doing yes we are actually running a video game march madness tournament as we've done for the last five five years five freaking years can you believe it and we are focusing on sports themed video games this year like today's matchup is actually rocket league versus mario and sonic at the olympic games so at the end of the month there will be a chosen game chosen by our listeners that we will cover on a future episode of our podcast cast to the past so get your votes in every day well, Tom, again, thank you for everything. It's always a pleasure getting, getting together with you. We'll have to get together in person here real soon. You know, you can bring that beautiful wife of yours up, and I'll make you guys a very nice dinner. There we go. Excellent. I'm looking forward to it. Take care.